Uh, let's make a start. And uh, f firstly, I just want to say a warm welcome to you if you're our guest here this morning. You are our VIP guest. I hope that you're made to feel welcome. I hope that people talk to you and uh, say hi and who you are and all that sort of good stuff. Um, I, I was just thrilled listening to that. And uh, I was thrilled because not only will we engage with people in our community, not only will we have the opportunity to be generous ourselves and God teaching us <coughs> through that, but I'm thrilled because Caroline has uh, heard or uh, God has given Caroline something to do and uh, she's acted upon it and she's taken it upon herself to actually uh, action something and we just love that in our church. We love it when we get the opportunity to people to uh, say this is what we think God's saying and us saying that sounds great. Sounds like God's given you the vision so away you go. So, uh, so just be warned. If you're sitting here this morning and God starts speaking, don't come and tell us what we should be doing, because maybe he's speaking to you about that. And, uh, but we love to see that happen and give permission, release people into what God has for them. And uh, that was that one. Uh, a couple of special mentions. You know, birthdays are really important things. And we don't normally do this, but there are two people here this morning. I just thought, you know, need to uh, celebrate. Uh, they've been part of our church right from the very beginning, both of them, and uh, they're dearly loved. The first one is uh, Nathan Fugard. He's now an adult. <laughs> Which means he fends for himself and, and uh, drinks his dad's beer. And all the rest. And so, so that's that. And then, uh, and sitting right behind him is Kathy Cavan, who is about to turn a big one with a zero. I'll let you figure it out. I might be in trouble if I say it has a six before it. Anyway, um, that was that. And now the third thing is what the heck is snow for ditch? What is it? It's what? So what, what, what was the phrase? Snow? I think I understood the meaning behind it. It sold out quickly. Was that the meaning of it? Right. right. How on earth is that compute with snow off a ditch? Melts very quickly. Right. I see the sense. Dear, you've never said that once in our marriage. <laughs> never heard that. You've been hanging out with your mum again? That's definitely the sort of thing your mum would say. <clears throat> okay. Don't say that one, no. Okay. Welcome. Come as you are and all that. Right, here we go. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 5. And uh, this is our series. By the way, it ends next week. The series ends next week because the week after, um, we have our special guest, Debbie Wright's going to be with us. And we're going to do some other uh, things over the next. So I'm not quite sure, if I'm honest, how we're going to end things next week. We, it might be a chapter six and to be continued. 
uh, or it could simply be a, a whistle-stop tour of kind of how things happen. So uh, I do greatly appreciate your feedback and some of the kind things you've been saying. I know that it's been speaking to many of you, and that's been wonderful. Um, but a quick recap as to where we are before we introduce the chapter 5. And it's this, Nehemiah has returned from uh, where he's been uh, uh, serving as a wine taster to the king, 800 miles away from Jerusalem. He returns with the one thing in mind, and that's to rebuild the broken walls of Jerusalem. And then midway through rebuilding, they encounter great opposition from surrounding uh, people groups, and they threaten to attack, and we looked at that last week. But they continue to rebuild regardless. They rebuild half of the workforce, whilst half of the workforce provide kind of uh, military cover, I guess, or protection from their workers. Which introduces then into chapter 5, where we read that there's trouble from within the ranks, from actually within the, the people themselves. And so we're going to read through chapter 5 together, and uh, then we're going to see what God might have to say to us through it. So we're in chapter 5. I didn't say to you guys, did I? So if you have a Bible, sorry, I should have done that. Um, the words won't come up on the screen. That is my um, forgetfulness. Can we do that? Can we quickly do that? We're doing that. Great. Well, you'll dive in maybe at some point. Well, verse 1. Now, the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's taxes on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to theirs, to others. When I heard, that this is Nehemiah speaking, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, uh, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people, only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses and also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money. Grain, new wine and olive oil. We will give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone 
who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor, but the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lauded it over the people, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work of the wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, a hundred and fifty Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every ten days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor, because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. Amen. So that's it. Now, for those of you who are auditory learners, you've got the whole story. And for those of you who switched off at verse 2, like I would have done had that been read to me, um, here's the... Uh, the, the cheap version. What is it? What was the thing? The what? The summary. Yeah, but what's the thing that you buy on a commentary? Yes. Yeah. Macbeth, Shakespeare, all that kind of literature. I know I'm offending some of you here. Unlucky. <laughs> so I, I remember Macbeth at school. It was about fourth or fifth year. I remember the girlfriend I was dating at the time anyway. And um, <laughs> uh, she dumped me actually. <laughs> <laughs> Macbeth never understood a word of it. Not a word of it. It could have been Cantonese for all I care. But I got the, the, the thing and it kind of helped me. So I, you kind of copy that bit and you hand it in and, and it was, the job was a good one. So uh, here's the quick summary. Some of the Jews were complaining to the richer Jews. So this is the people. These are the people. And remember from the workforce... It was all kinds, rich and poor, people of position, uh, jewelers, uh, I, I can't remember the other professions, but every person was all in it together. And the poorer people, they were the ones who were actually complaining of the richer people who were exploiting them. They were exploiting them. They needed food to live off. And what was happening was the richer folks were actually using it as a business opportunity and they were lending to them, but they were charging interest. And as a result, they were having to lose their own vineyards or their own land and worse still, their own children. Their own children were being subjected as slaves to their own people. And this was what was going on. And Nehemiah hears about this. He hears the complaints. He ponders it. And he intervenes and he confronts the nobles about their wrong practice. Nehemiah uh, makes the nobles stop what they're doing. And he makes them uh, swear an oath, uh, a promise that they're going to stop this and they're going to carry this through. And then in the last few verses he states about what he has done 
he was entitled to, to the richness. As governor in his position, like his predecessors, he was actually entitled to receive lots and lots of food items and what have you, but he chose not to do that. Rather, he chose to be extremely generous, and we're going to look at that a little bit later. So what do we learn from this? I want to take some time this morning to kind of just unpack this of what it might say to us as individuals, but what it might say to us actually as a community. Uh, Putting it into some context, some scholars would argue that this event actually took place after the rebuilding of the wall because of the bit in the middle that says a large assembly was kind of gathered. But there are others, and I think I agree more with this side of things, that actually it took place during the rebuilding. And it had the potential to kibosh the whole rebuilding project. Had Nehemiah done nothing about it, had he not intervened and stepped in in that moment, it would have proven to have been difficult because basically everyone would have fallen out of each other. It was a big deal in the community and Nehemiah had to take action. He had to take a lead and he had to take a stand and he had to deal with the situation or the problem. So the problem was this, just to remind ourselves, uh, basically the rich folks were, were exploiting the poorer ones and they were subjecting them to something actually contravened the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law, which you can read about in Deuteronomy 23. <clears throat> and it forbade um, a fellow Jew to lend to a fellow Jew and charge interest. And what they were doing was they were charging 1%, 1% per month. And over that time, it was proving to be extremely difficult, obviously, for the poorer folks and uh, they were subjected to, to the point where they were having to lose their own children just so that they could survive and just so that they could feed themselves. And the point is this, that it had the potential to create huge division. Huge division within the people. And it's like God had rescued them, he had redeemed them, and remember that they were in slavery or they were in exile hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And God had given them the opportunity to return back to Jerusalem, to the promised land, back to where they belong. And only in that place, and Nehemiah explains that in this passage, that he was saying, guys, do you not realize you're actually subjecting one another to the very same thing that was done to us? This cannot be right. And just as we relate it to ourselves, it's like the enemy just loves in any social setting, be it a family, be it a staff in a workplace situation, be it a sports club, uh, be it um, uh, any social setting, including and especially the church of Jesus, the enemy will come and use whatever power is available to create division. And we've heard, haven't we? We know of stories. We've heard, sadly, the turmoil, the tragedy where churches have either imploded or exploded and it started within conflict that that arose within the church, between individuals or between groups or whatever it might be. And it just expanded into something else. And what we want to do this morning briefly is just share how do we actually handle conflict? How do we handle appropriately well when individuals fall out or groups fall out with each other? How do we appropriately do that? Because I'm going to say right at the very beginning here that resolution is always the best way. 
always coming to an agreement, always coming to a place where there's restoration is always the preferred thing. Never to uh, just fall out and the fallout remains and we uh, kind of go our own way. Firstly, wrong things need to be taken to the right people. We do not know whether the people who are being wronged uh, had first gone to Nehemiah about this or whether he had just simply heard about this. But it's important that whenever someone uh, upsets you, you go to the person that upset you. Okay, And that's the biblical mandate. It's what Jesus spoke about in Matthew 18. It says this, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. And you can apply this to any relationship in your life. Be it a brother-sister thing. Be it a mum and daughter thing. Be it uh, uh, in the workplace. Uh, be it at the sports club. Be it in church. If it's, a, if it's a fallout between two individuals, just go to that person and have the conversation. Now, there are some cases, and this particular case, where it actually affected the whole community. Therefore, Nehemiah, who was appointed governor and basically leader, needed to know about it because it affected the mass and it affected what was going on. And it's important, you know, if there's a, if there's a major complaint or something that happens, it's important that the right people know about it. And it's important that uh, we as leaders, if it was a church context, know about it so that we uh, have the opportunity to, to handle things and to deal with things. Now, there are often or sometimes times when actually there could be something that actually we can know about it, we can try and intervene about it, but we can't always manage to solve the problem. But at the end of the day, we can't do anything unless we know about it. So here's a few things uh, just to know about. If there's a conflict that arises, please don't air your complaints to other people. Please don't you know, have your own kind of private conversations about that because that turns into gossip. And gossip is never a good thing anywhere in society, anywhere, especially in a church. And please don't stir up dissension. Please don't rally support or, or look for others that will kind of agree with you on your particular point. But please come and air those things. Uh, if it was in a small group situation, something was said, someone annoyed you, who do you go to? You go to your small group leaders, to your life group leaders, and allow them to deal with the situation. If it's something that's major or something that's annoying you, then come speak to, to one of us who lead the church. And just come and say, this is what's happening. And please never assume that we're too busy, and please never be in fear of us. Please don't think, oh no, I couldn't possibly talk to those guys. We try our best to make ourselves as approachable as possible. And uh, so please uh, do that. Uh, that would be really, really helpful. And lastly, on, on those things. If, if someone, if you are the person on the receiving end of, of something, some sort of complaint. So let's say someone has something that's annoyed them and you're the one that's listening to their complaint, but you're not the right person. Then please, with maturity and with great respect, say to them, have you spoken to the relevant people? And if they haven't, please shut the conversation down. Just say, we're not going to have this. I'm not the person that needs to know this. You need to go and speak to such and such. Because that's real maturity uh, right there. And, it, and what it does as well is it just shuts down 
the possibility of it going any further. So, number one, to recap, wrong things need to be taken to the right people. Secondly, conflict needs to be dealt with um, biblically. And uh, the first thing here is when Nehemiah learns about what was going on, he got righteously angry. He was, he was angered by what was going on. It was unjust. It was wrong. It wasn't right. And it angered him. And just to reiterate that anger is, some forms of anger are okay. It's what we do with that emotion, actually, is the thing where often anger uh, spills out and becomes sinful. But Jesus, obviously, modeled anger whenever he saw what was happening in the temple and his actions were according to that. And so he, he does that. Uh, Nehemiah reacts or responds. Um, he, he, he's annoyed and he's upset by what's happened. But secondly, immediately after that, he exercises great self-control. He doesn't dive in uh, with two feet. He allows the anger and the frustration that he's experiencing and he's feeling and he calms down. And the, the Bible says there, he ponders them in his mind. And that's really, really significant that we take that time out to do that. And I'm just being honest with you, I'm learning to do that. There are sometimes I do that well and there's sometimes I don't do that well. There's sometimes I want to go two feet in and rush to fix something and I, I think that's partly I don't know I think I think sometimes it's like we, we just want to get things sorted out when things do happen you, you know we want to sort it out and make it okay and uh, I don't know maybe that's part of our own emotional health thing or to be people fixers I don't I'm not quite sure it is but uh, I, I just don't like things when things kind of go on and we like to uh, sort things out but sometimes there is the point or the time that's needed to just kind of Take out the emotion, take out the heat before we can um, act appropriately and rightly. The opposite of that, of diving straight in, is actually doing nothing. You know, so you could hear about something and something arises, some sort of conflict, and you hear about it, you get upset about it, you get angry about it, but actually end up doing nothing about it. And it is important that actually at a moment in time that some um, sort of um, progress or action takes place. This is what Nehemiah did. He accused the nobles and officials and he told them, you are charging your own people interest. So he calls together a large meeting to deal with them. So he goes to the people who are responsible, tells them what they're doing and he calls a large meeting. Now we don't exactly know why he calls the large meeting uh, whether it was because of the extent that it had or the great effect that it had on everyone or whether it was when he first went to the nobles in private, they didn't listen and so they involved other people, which is the second part of the Matthew 18 thing. If your brother goes and sins and shows him your fault in private, if he listens to you, you've won your brother, but if he doesn't, then take one or two more with you and um, deal with the situation there. So he spells out the problem, he rebukes the leaders, and they had nothing to say. There was no answer. And you can, you can imagine uh, almost the embarrassment maybe of that. He further stated that the behavior was not good and that uh, their enemies would actually mock the Jews for their own mistreatment of one another. But he sets a personal example of godliness also. One of the reasons I think sometimes we don't actually 
uh, deal with difficult situations is, um, is, a, is the feeling it actually gives ourselves in terms of we don't want to confront other people because it exposes area of our own sinful nature. Judge not lest ye be judged. And so we just let things go on. But he is a, a, a leader who, with great integrity and he has the opportunity to speak into the situation. And this is what he says. He says he had spent his own money to redeem fellow Jews from slavery. In verse 8 we read about. That is what Nehemiah did. In verse 10 he had loaned money uh, without interest. And in the last five verses he basically goes on to say as governor for the 12 year period the way in which he could have uh, received all the choice food and drink and what have you but he chose not to do that he chose to be incredibly generous uh, instead and his generosity he had a hundred get this we can just read this and go oh that was nice but just begin to understand this he had 150 Jews and officials at his table daily that was some table right one ox six choice sheep poultry and wine you imagine that. You imagine all that food that was prepared. And he invited those people. As a leader, he was incredibly generous with what God had given him. He feared God and cared about hurting people. So in 15b and 18b, um, he feared God and he did what he did because of the servitude was heavy on his people. And it's important that those in leadership, we come to the place where we're modeling generosity and where we're able to sort of say, God, this is your church, this is your people, this is not about us, this is about you and it's about them. I'm going to skip over those things because I'm running out of time. come into land to resolve conflict biblically we must be willing to submit to God to his word and to godly leaders sadly when whenever we confront people on certain situations and certain things and believe you me it's never nice it's always awkward it's always difficult no one likes having the difficult conversations it's just not nice but whenever we do some people respond really positively and we're able to smooth over things and it's wonderful and some people don't and some people choose to be uh, offended uh, they choose to uh, drop out of church altogether or or choose to switch churches and move to another church and that's just that and as as best as possible we serve to uh, to do things appropriately and well and right and like I said at the very beginning, our goal is always reconciliation and restoration. Always. Always. And it's sad. It's sad, actually, when folks come and that disagreement just evolves into something else and it doesn't end nicely. Uh, and that's that. These nobles and rulers accepted Nehemiah's rebuke and they acted appropriately. And what Nehemiah does is he takes his robe and in this physical act, it's like he shakes out his robe. I can't really do it in my black t-shirt. But he kind of shakes out his robe and in a way is sort of saying, you need to act according to what you've promised that you will do, that you're going to stop doing what you're doing, that you're going to give back land and you're going to give back the interest which you've taken from those people. And you must do this. And if you don't do this, the shaking out of his robe signified the shaking out of... Um, 
of God from his people and that they would no longer be part of things. And that's what he does. Uh, but our, our, our encouragement to you, uh, leading, leading, I can tell you, is, uh, is an honor, is a privilege, is, uh, is just the most wonderful thing ever. What we get to do and get paid for it is a wonderful thing. We love it. We absolutely love it. We love what God's doing in our community. We love what God's doing amongst our people. And it's absolutely fantastic. But with it, sometimes it is difficult. Sometimes it is lonely. Sometimes it can be painful and it can be awkward. Um, and I would just encourage you uh, to exhort the words from Hebrews 13. And it simply says, Obey your leaders. Submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who are given account. Let, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to, for you. And that's not to say that we don't get it right or that we don't get it wrong, because of course we get it wrong too. And we're willing, whenever we do get it wrong, to hold up our hands and say, yeah, fair play, you had a point there. And we're sorry for that. Lastly, as we come into land... Hopefully learning some wonderful things here. Uh, I, I read this in, in preparation. Church quarrel. Um, someone had said this about church quarrel. Satan remains neutral and supplies ammunition to both sides. And uh, that may not always be true. Uh, but does, you know, he just loves to seek to divide. Loves to seek to divide. And, and whilst we might have strong opinions and we might have... Uh, a difference on what understanding and what have you that's okay but, uh, but remaining that resolution, reconciliation and the oneness of relationship is always at the heart of God and is always at the heart of those of us who lead here within the church there's enough conflict and there's enough uh, craziness in our broken world which God has called us to be salt and light in let's never be an example uh, a bad example of just another place where that goes on. Let's always be a people that love one another, lay down our lives for each other in that way. Amen. Are we done? Are we done? We're done. Well, we're going to worship briefly, and then we're going to uh, pray, and then that's us this morning.